At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit CommonwealthMatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to the Commonwealth Matters. Welcome to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson, Executive Director of the Commonwealth Policy Center. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, hey, this has been a program I have been anticipating for a while because it's been too long since I have been with my friend and yeah. brother, Ron Hicks. Yes, <laughs> We've yes. not talked in a while, Ron. It's been a we? minute, hasn't it? Sure yeah. enough. Yeah, no, it's so good to uh, so good to be in West Kentucky. This is home to me. This is where I feel comfort. I've got friends and um, a lot of good memories. I've been traveling here uh, all day, and here I'm at Henderson Memorial, and you and I are able to do the Commonwealth Matters program. It's so, been a minute. We've been doing this together for a long time, and so when we when we're not able to do it, it's uh, it's uh, definitely a hole in my life as well. So I appreciate. You swing it by and let me do this program with you. Oh, this this is good, and Ron. I had shared with you, uh, shared with you a really neat, awesome experience yesterday. I was at uh, worshipped at Buck Run Baptist Church in Frankfurt. Buck Run is pastored by Herschel York, who has really influenced a lot of pastors across the state. He he's been a teacher at uh, Southern Theological Seminary. He's actually the dean of the School of Theology. Just a good man, godly man, knows the Scripture. And he models what it is to be Christ-like in a very influential position as well. And so I, uh, I've not seen Herschel in a while. Uh, he'd actually been traveling some. Uh, but I came to the, the service yesterday, which was a combined service, because there had been two services because of the second wave of COVID, combined service. And part of it was going to be a business meeting. Part of the business meeting was about him announcing that he was not, uh, he actually set a retirement date for himself. Did not expect that, nor did the congregation expect that. But Ron, the way that he handled that was very gracious, was very moving because he's a beloved pastor. He's been there for 18 years. People love him. They appreciate his teaching. And there was, uh, he, there, he was very moved because he loved that congregation. I really think it was hard for me to announce that retirement date two years down the line. Part of the conversation, though, was an associate pastor who'd been there for a number of years who had other opportunities to move on to other churches, could have pastored any church in the country. And Herschel believed that it was only fair to this person, very promising young pastor, to, uh, prom- to tell the congregation that I think that this is a natural fit to follow me. The heir apparent, sure. The heir, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, but... Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Herschel couldn't make that decision alone. Right. It was the congregation. It's a congregational form of church government, and they'd have to have the final say. So church. So Herschel made really made a plea for why this person. It was reasoned. It wasn't manipulative. It was carefully thought through. But made a, very a good case. Plea, right. You, it it yeah. was. He was mm-hmm. very. He. Mm-hmm. You could tell that he really was his desire to see the church welcome aboard this heir apparent. And there was actually, in this business meeting, 500 or so, roughly, give or take, I didn't count, but it was a good-sized crowd that morning, uh, they had to take an action. 
to approve a committee that would nominate this associate pastor to follow behind Herschel with some specifics there. Now, Ron, I've been to business meetings before. And they don't, (laughs) that aren't gracious and that aren't, and I'm thinking, Uh oh my goodness, there's 500 Uh people here. I'm Uh sure there's some people Uh that aren't going to agree with this. Uh And I'm just waiting for Uh something to happen. But Ron, there was a motion made after Herschel was done speaking and it was seconded. And then all were in favor. And not only were they in favor, there was not a single dissent. They got on their hands and they applauded Herschel. I've not seen that done in a church. It was done well. It was done graciously. And it was uh, awesome to be part of that. You and I were talking actually uh, before, and you said, "Let's let's let's go ahead and start recording this because we're going to talk about the whole thing before we get it on." I, I think that that is that is the epitome of the church accepting the leadership of the man that God has put in that position to lead the church, and then the the man who's been chosen to lead the church. Uh, uh, respecting the uh, the position of the church or the position uh, the the, uh, the thoughts of the church to be able to say this is what it is that I'm thinking obviously behind the behind the scenes he had probably talked to some of the leadership about it so it just wasn't a, a catching everybody you know blindsided and all the rest of that so I'm sure he sought wise counsel but but the church working together uh with the pastor and and I I think that's that's I think that's that's a great model of how it needs to be done. And often in the churches, it's not that way. A pastor can be a dictator to be able to say, hey, it's going to be done this way. Or the congregation says, we could care less what you say. We're going to do it this way. But here you've got that partnership, as I believe um, that it should be. It's a partnership. They both, the congregation and the pastor, were submitted to biblical authority. Part of this had to do with Herschel's faithful teaching of the word over the years. He had discipled that congregation and taught them God's truths. In all areas, he's an expositional preacher. He would go through a book of the Bible and preach what was there and taught the application of those uh, biblical principles. And it was a mature congregation. And for me, it was so refreshing because I've seen conflict. I've been in meetings. You and I have been in situations (laughs) in Christian ministries where there is conflict and it is unpleasant. It is ugly. It is the opposite of what Christians should be known for. And for me to see such a, a big congregation be in unity and to uh, follow the leadership, the wise leadership of a pastor was so good. I've got a great analogy here. If I, if I'm, you know, I'm a storyteller. Um, I, I, my, I used to collect coins and uh, I still do a little bit, but, but a silver coin, you can have a pocket full of coins. And if there's one silver coin in there, you could just shake that handful of coins. You could reach in your pocket, take those coins in your hand, shake them. And that silver coin makes a sound unlike any of the other coins. So you could actually have a handful of coins and you rattle them and you could, you could say there's a silver coin in there because it rings true. It, 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 has, a, it has a distinct sound to it. And so when you, have, uh, when you see truth, when you see um, the, the body of Christ functioning as one, you know, as, the, as, the, as Paul writes to the church in Corinth uh, that, you know, we're all one body, but we're diverse, and there's not everybody's the big toe, and not everybody's the hand. Everybody functions together. When you see that, you're thinking to yourself, the reason that you were, I think the reason you were so astonished is because that has a ring to it that's true. You can tell that that sounds different than what it is that I'm used to hearing. You take a bunch of copper coins, you take a bunch of zinc coins, and you rattle them together. It, it, it has one sound, but when there's a silver coin in there, it's, it's got a, it's, there's a sound to it that's so completely different. 
and you heard a different sound yesterday, and you're like, that's what it's supposed to be. It's interesting you put it that way because you've heard of the term having the ring of truth yeah. to it. Yeah. There's things, people that yeah. tell stories and might be good with words, but it doesn't have the ring of truth to it. What happened at Buck Run the other day had the ring of truth. The Apostle Paul, interestingly enough, talks about uh, annoying sounds. In 1 Corinthians <laughs> thirteen one. right? Mm-hmm. We can speak in the them. tongues of men and of angels, but if we have not love, we're like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, mm-hmm. which is not Just the ring of truth. A lot of noise. Right? A lot of noise, and it's very annoying. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, what happened there, it was, uh, was a beautiful thing. It was harmony. So if we're using the musical yeah. metaphors, right? There, it was a harmonious uh, effort. It was harmonious. Uh, uh, there was unity. Uh, you know, Ron, I also think of the uh, proverb that talks about uh, our words. Uh, you know, a, a word fitly sp- uh, aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. And Hershel York had, was sharing uh, fit words, aptly, aptly spoken uh, words. And... Uh, he, he was biblically based. He spoke in humility. That's the other thing. And I want to pivot over to, to leadership because he led, and yet he had incredible humility. Uh, yeah. And it's very difficult for us as human beings to balance humility and leadership because in a leadership place, you can misuse power. Absolutely. You can misuse your authority. You can manipulate. Mm-hmm. And that didn't happen. Well, and I think, I think also he followed, uh, followed the biblical principle. You know, Barnabas, um, you know, we all know there's who studied the Bible for you know 15 minutes. You know, Bar uh, is son of Barnabas, son of encouragement. That was actually his nickname. It wasn't his real name, but he was such an encourager that he was called Barnabas, son of encouragement. And so he took Paul underneath his wing. And after several years, I mean, in the book of Acts, Barnabas's name appears first. But after a couple of years, now Paul's name starts appearing first. So Barnabas took a back seat. Said, "Okay, I've." counseled with this guy, I've trained this guy, and it's time for him now to step into his ministry, and it's time for me to step back. And Barnabas was okay with that. And, and it, it was so ingrained in Paul that Paul picked Titus and Timothy to do that same thing with. So in, in Christian leadership, we should all be looking to replace ourselves. We should, every one of us should be training somebody to come along behind us because we're investing in them and we're teaching them and all the rest of that for, for there to be that natural progression instead of just, hey, I'm out of here. You know, um, so, Ron, let's talk about that for a moment. Mm-hmm. What are some things? So we saw, I, again, I'm just still <laughs> dumbstruck because right, this right. is not the norm. Right. Unfortunately, in many of our churches, we see business meetings run with uh, less than gracious attitudes where there's sometimes people on a power trip, and you see them end in division. And my concern is that when— Outsiders see this. They know what's going on. They hear the stories. When they see it, it's not attractive. Why would somebody want to come into a church that's supposed to be a place of peace and hope and healing? Why would they want to come into a place of conflict? Jesus even says, in, in, uh, I recorded in the book of John, um, and you had that scripture available. John 13, um, John 13 By this, the world will know that you are mine, and this is the Hicks paraphrase, if you love one another. Um, and so when we show Christian love to one another, even if we don't agree, but if we, it, it, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can say, okay, what's your perspective? What's your interpretation? Because uh, God's revelation is perfect. Man's interpretation is where there's flaws. So let me hear what you think. And okay, this is what I think. And we can process that together and, 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 and move forward. But often um, we, we don't think that way. We think, well, if you disagree with me, then, then 
then you're wrong. I couldn't possibly be wrong. Then you're wrong. And I've got to try to convince you that you're wrong. And the way to convince you is wrong is simply by convincing you that I'm right. <laughs> you know, and, you know, and so things the, don't go well. The, the mark of a believer, Ron, is not by who wins the most debates, who has the best um, argumentation skills, mm-hmm. who uh, is the smartest in the room. But you mentioned they're going to know that you're a disciple of Jesus if you love one another. But it's the amount of humility that we show in our lives that demonstrate to the world the grace that we've received from God. It's, he's incredibly gracious. He's incredibly um, kind to forgive us of our sins. And when we realize how serious our sin is and where it was leading us, we were separated from God on the way to hell but he intervened, he interposed himself, uh, gave himself up on the cross. Interposed, by the way, he just put himself between us and the wrath of God. He took on the wrath of God. The, the, he, he took our punishment that we deserve because he loved us that much. But when that sinks down deep into our souls, the amount of love, the amount of compassion, the amount of sacrifice he gave us on the cross— when that sinks down deep, it will make us humble and grateful people. And because of that, again, when it grips our souls at a deep, deep level, we can be humble and gracious to others. We can be kind. We can be forgiving. We can be patient. And these meetings, these divisive business meetings and these issues in the church really should go by the wayside when we realize who we are and who saved us from our sins. I think it's an identity crisis when you have meetings of of any type, but we're talking about church life. When when you have a meeting where it's about my opinion is right, I think it shows, it shows immaturity um, that this, that not and an identity crisis, not knowing whose you are and who you are. And so, you know, we've been forgiven of much. And so we've got to be able to show that same sort of grace, you know, for the measure that, you, that, that we use against somebody is going to be used against us. And so we've been showed a tremendous amount of grace. He who has been forgiven much will love much. I'm reminded of that passage that Jesus said for the woman who was involved in an immoral lifestyle, weeping, and uh, he forgave her. Uh, I think that's the context. I need to be careful because it's on radio, but... Uh, but there is there is that passage, that passage where he who is forgiven much, will love much, and it was actually in the context of a parable that he was sharing, of about right, the person right. in doubt. And I think yeah. it all stems from good leadership. First of all, the leadership that Christ uh, modeled, and then instilled in his apostles, the disciples, and is still being modeled by pastors like the pastor of Buck Run Baptist Church, who's modeling Christian leadership. And, and they know him. And so if he says, hey, I've been ministering with this guy, um, I've been encouraging this guy, he's the guy that you need to go because they know him and they know his heart. They trust him. Hey, Ron, him. we're going to take a quick break. We're halfway through the program. Take a quick break. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Commonwealth Matters. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, Richard Nelson here with the Commonwealth Policy Center. It's clear that the news media isn't always fair. In fact, there's lots of far-left bias and political gamesmanship. No surprise there. So if you're looking for a perspective that's grounded in the truth of Scripture and our nation's founding principles, then get plugged into CPC's resources. Sign up for our e-newsletter at CommonwealthPolicyCenter.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Commonwealth Policy Center. And we're on Twitter at CPC for Kentucky. 
Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson, Executive Director of CPC, here with good friend and pastor Ron Hicks. And we're talking about division in the church, unity in the church, uh, good leadership. And just before the break, Ron, we were talking about humility, which is not something that comes natural to any of us. By nature, we are uh, prideful, right? We want to be right. Uh, when we're in an argument or discussion, we want to win that. But uh, in the church especially, it's important that we are careful how we treat each other. We need to treat each other well outside the church as well. But it's important that in our interactions in the church that we operate with grace and with humility. Grace, by the way, I know it's a big, it's a biblical term, that's Bibleese, but it just means unmerited favor. It means favor we're given that we don't that's right. We don't deserve it, but God has been gracious to and us. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. So God's about grace and mercy, giving us what we don't deserve and not giving us what we do deserve. <laughs> so, and, and that's that's great. Right. And when we really understand that, and when it sinks deep into our souls, it causes us to be gracious and merciful to others, even people who are obnoxious. Along those lines, Richard, um, you know, if if you have an argument with a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. And you win the argument. If you have an argument with your husband or your wife and you win that argument, do you really win? Not if you've hurt the other person. Right. If right. you if you even if you've used the wrong tone in right. speaking That's to what them. I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you've hurt them, uh, even if you didn't intend to, the goal is to find harmony, especially in that marriage relationship, find harmony, respect one another, uh, try to seek for understanding. Uh, if you've offended, then apologize. And here's the crazy thing. The people that are the closest to us are often the folks that we realize, hey, I can lose my righteous mind with this person, and I can say, hey, sorry, and they kind of kind of have to continue to love me. you know. And, and so sometimes when you've been in a relationship for a long time, whether it's in church, whether it's in a marriage, um, and, and you just you have, you, have, you, you need a dog to kick, you know, and, and it ends up being your spouse or your kids, and then you come back later on, you know, hey, I'm sorry, I, you know, I, and, and it's almost like, well, they have to take me back. But how do you feel? How does a person feel that realizes, oh, no, I'm the dog that's going to get kicked again, you know, they, and they're going to come and say they're sorry, but if they were truly sorry, would they actually treat me that way to begin with? And, and so, yeah, it's, again, it's a, like a, a dynamic crisis. I think, Ron, yeah, and also, if I could add to that, I think what you were getting to is that we take for granted those closest to us. Take for granted, and we can uh, say things that are unkind, uncharitable, and hurt them without really thinking through. These are the most important people in our lives that we should care about. You know, and, and sometimes you, you don't agree with people. So when you have a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, you have a, a husband and wife, and you don't see things eye to eye. Um, then, then there is a, I think, a Christian process of being able to to discuss that and to be able to say, here's my point of view, and okay, I hear what you're saying, and I understand where the other person is coming from. Generally, in a conversation that we call intense fellowship or an argument, uh, what exactly what we're waiting for? It, it, we're not waiting for a person to be finished so that we can say, okay, this is what I hear you saying. We're waiting for them to be finished so we can say what we're already thinking of saying, regardless of what you said. So we're just simply waiting for an opening to be able to rebut as opposed to being able to say, okay, let me understand what you just said there. Let me, okay, from your perspective, this is what you're saying. And I think if we simply take the time to articulate what the other person is saying, whether we agree with it or not, 
just to be able to say, okay, I hear you saying this, and yes, okay, yeah, I don't, I don't think I see it that way, and this is how I see it. Okay, this is what I hear you saying. And then, and then you have an information exchange. That's right. It's called respect right, for dialogue. Right, right. And that's what we need more of today, right. not just in the church but outside the church. I would say the church has an obligation to model that. What does respectful, civil conversation look like? And you'd point it out, it means truly listening to the other person, trying to understand what they're saying, reflecting on it before you just respond, just before you have your comeback prepared. Unity in the church, Ron, is so important. I believe, you believe, I'm speaking mm-hmm. on your behalf sure. now. You know me well enough church, to do that. The church is the light of the world. The church is the—Jesus is the light of the world. The church is set to disciple the nations. When discipleship happens, light comes in to darkness. We live in a dark world in many cases. We live in a confused world where there's no moral compass. Look, there are boys who believe they're girls, and we have school boards, intelligent people saying, yep, yeah, We've got to affirm that. We've got to let them use the girls' restrooms. Yeah, no, we're not, grade yeah. school, high right. school, uh, and, and it's school boards, elected bodies are telling the parents and the students, you've got to let boys into the girls' locker rooms and girls' bathrooms and let them join the girls' sports teams. And, Ron, I'm going to be very, very blunt, but this is what I'll say. We have lost our minds when we believe that boys and girls are essentially the same with just some external parts that might be different. There's God made us in his image, male and female, and we're, we're distinct, not just in our external biology, but to the core. Girls and boys, men and women are different, and it's good. Our differences are good. But there's a reason why there's a girls' locker room and why there are girls' sports teams, and that's a real problem for us to say, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't consider the girls and their safety or their privacy. It doesn't consider where this leads. The point I'm trying to make is we have lost a moral compass. And when leaders uh, fail to see the distinction between male and female, and when they put young girls, in this case, in harm's way, there's a, there is a, an existential crisis. There's a crisis right now where we need to find our voice on this. In the church, I'm talking. Yeah. But our voice is not going to be listened to if there's disunity, if there's bickering, if there's fighting. We need to get our act together. And I'm hoping that pastors are listening. I'm hoping that deacons are listening and elders are listening to this program because we need to get our act together. Not just to win the culture over, but it honors God when we get it right in our personal relationships and in the church. uh, Then the church becomes attractive when we operate with humility and with love and with compassion in, in a gracious way. That's attractive. I heard that's what the world. Yeah, needs. You're absolutely right. I heard it said this way a long time ago. If you go to a UK basketball game, okay, the the players can lose their mind, the coaches can lose their mind, the fans can lose their mind, and it's still a basketball game. When the referees lose their mind, it's a riot. You know, so so there has to be somebody there that says, okay, when everybody else loses their mind, I won't, I can't, because I'm the one that's looked at, um, and so I I think. You know, I, I, I get uh, this is kind of a, a, a way sideways sort of a thing, but I, I get I get a little frustrated with uh, our congregation or, or, or church people sometimes around the Christmas time when they say, well, you know, th- th- this particular store is not even saying Merry Christmas. And I say, God didn't give that store. <laughs> God didn't say to that store, you should spare shed the gospel. You, he's given it to you. How, how frustrated do you think that God is you? That by you know what ninety six percent of Christians by their own confession never once in their whole life share their faith, 
So you're going to beat up this story because they're not saying Merry Christmas. You're not doing what it is that you're supposed to do. So the world is saying you don't really care about us. Don't say you love the sinner and hate the sin because for most most non-believers, there's zero evidence that the church loves them. There's zero evidence in their life. And we need to do that. By the way, before you tell somebody about Jesus, you need to love that person first. You need to care deeply. And I've been reflecting a lot on this lately, Ron, about sharing the faith and about how Christians interact with culture. And it's okay. I'm not saying that you can't share the gospel with strangers or just tell them about Jesus. But if you're truly going to have impact, in most cases, it's going to start with a relationship because you care about the other person. And when people realize that you care about them, they're more willing, more open to hear what you have to say. Otherwise, you're just another commercial, just like all the other hundreds of commercials we might hear in any given day. So it starts with our care, our concern for the other person, then doors might be open. You know why people say so often, folks don't care what you know until they know that you care. The reason so many people say that, because it's true. (laughs) Cliches are all true. And so people could care less, whether you're a Bible scholar, if you don't care about them and their needs. Um, James even says that, you know, if you say to somebody, hey, you know, hungry, hey, go and be well fed. Hope you have a great day. But you've not done anything to feed them. You know, exactly. Your religion is worthless, I think, is what James says. So uh, it's by our actions that people will know what we truly believe, what our deepest values are. Here's a passage that comes to mind, speaking of unity. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and he says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And this is a group of believers sitting under the authority of the word. They are breaking bread together in communion. They are doing life together. Uh, as God's people, but they're sitting together learning under the teaching of the Word. And this happened to be a letter that Paul wrote, but this is, this is applicable to us today. We, we are to agree with one another. He doesn't want divisions in the church. Um, he wants us united. There's another uh, passage in uh, Philippians 2.3 that, uh, that speaks of humility. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, Value others mm. above yourself. Above yourself. Well, and later on in that, that uh, letter to the church in Corinth, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, and he talks about the body, the, the congregation being a body. And, and he kind of is saying, um, you know, not everybody's the head, not everybody's the hand, not everybody's the big toe. In chapter um, 12, verse 21, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the ha- head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On contrary, these parts of the body, they all seem to be weaker, but they're, they're all indispensable. And then it goes on later on to say, God has put the body together. And so God has put the body together, and he's given us all unique abilities and talents. One more um, passage to close with, I think that may tie it all together, is Colossians 3, verses 13 and 14, which says, Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's precious. And it goes back to something I said just a few minutes ago. If we can be humble and forgiving to those around us to the extent that we have received Christ's forgiveness in our own lives, his grace in our own lives, to the extent that that runs deep, 
in our souls, we can extend that to others. Ron, on that note, we're going to have to close. We, uh, we're out of time, brother. <laughs>